the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. What he prays for here is not blind love. He prays for discerning love. Undiscerning love is a dangerous thing. Undiscerning love is when we're led totally by emotions. And sometimes we can do some silly and dangerous things out of a heart of love, but not out of wisdom. And so if we don't have discernment, love without discernment is a dangerous thing. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Philippians. Today, Pastor Gary teaches us the difference between discerning love and undiscerning love. A person who is discerning could be described as someone who has good judgment, and someone who's undiscerning is usually swayed and led by their emotions whether that be anger, sadness, love, hatred, or joy, or anything else. And thus, they likely don't use much judgment in their decision-making. Jesus wants you to have a heart that's good at discerning right from wrong, even when your emotions may tell you something different. Begin asking God today for His guidance in learning how to love with discernment. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Exodus, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. It tells us in Exodus 21 that the Master would take an all- All right, a pointed, sharp object and would pierce his ear against the door. So he'd line up up against the door frame and drive an awl in. Now, I don't know what size gauge is and all that deal, but anyway, but that's the thing that they would do. And then that would mark them as belonging for life to that master. But it was a voluntary act of servitude, saying, I love you, I know you love me, and so I voluntarily become a doulos in the New Testament, a bondservant, and this is the term that that Paul is using here. I'm a bondservant of Christ. I have willingly, if you will, I've had my ear pierced against the wall because I love the Lord and I know He loves me and I willingly surrender to His Lordship, not under compulsion. I'm doing this because of my love for Him and His love for me. That's doulos. He says, I'm a doulos. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. And he addresses this here in verse 1 to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Okay, saints, just another word for those who have been born again. We're, we're all saints in that, in that sense, okay? Not that any of us have, you know, um, achieved sainthood in, that, in a different tradition, but we're all saints in the biblical sense. 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, as also translated King James bishops or some translations elders, and deacons. Those, those are the, those who are involved in the serving aspect of the church. So you have the, the saints, you have the elders, you have the, the, the deacons here. And he says, verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. You're going to see, he writes here with great affection here. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. There's that word joy. It's kara in the, in the Greek. It means calm delight or cheerfulness. We'll talk about it when we get further in the in the letter. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that partnership idea, that's the Greek word koinonia, by the way, even though we often see it translated in the Bible as fellowship, he talks about it in terms of their partnership with him, probably a reference to their financial partnership, because in chapter 4, if you can just glance ahead to chapter 4, verse 18, Near the very end, here in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and even more, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. So he says, you've partnered with me in this financial way. And that's the beauty of, of sometimes how financial support is partnering. You know, we have many missionaries that we financially support and we're in partnership with them. Because we love the work that they're doing, and so the offerings help to support them. And in that sense, it's a partnership. He says, I want to thank you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Back here in in chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, this is a great verse, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, what is that day of Christ Jesus? It's the second coming. And he says, and the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until Jesus comes again. Who is, who is the he who began a good work in you? Who is that? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And he's saying to the church of Philippi, the Lord began a good work in your hearts, and he's going to carry you on until his good work in you is completed when he returns. I mean, God is a keeping God. And God is faithful to help us finish well. You know, it does not matter what kind of a start you got in your faith. What matters is that you finish well. And the hope and the promise and the encouragement we have from Scripture in this verse here, this is a a very important verse, is this reminder that God is the one who will help us finish well. It isn't that we get saved and then God's like, you're on your own. You know, he gives us of his spirit, so we have the indwelling presence and power of God within us. But then this verse here to remind us that he who began that good work in you, the one who brought you to the place where you finally surrendered. Look, we didn't come to the place of surrender just through an intellectual exercise, though your brains were engaged in the process. We came to faith in Christ because his Holy Spirit began to draw us into that relationship. Nobody came to faith in this room if you claim to know Christ as your Savior. Just because of the exercise of your intellect, you came because your intellect engaged with the work of God's power in your heart that, that led you and drew you into that relationship with him. And he who began that good work in you will carry it on to completion, will bring it to its, and King James says, will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. David would write in Psalm 138 verse 8, the Lord will perfect that which 
concerns me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. God is a finishing God. Deuteronomy chapter 1, the Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. There are great promises in the Bible, and in this particular promise here in Deuteronomy, it's a reminder that God is like, a, like an earthly dad, and, and he is our heavenly father, in the sense of how a father will help a son who needs help. God helps us as his sons and daughters to finish well. God is actively involved in your salvation, not in just coming to faith, but in keeping your faith. Do we all understand this? God is actively involved in helping us to keep the faith and to press on and to finish well. Now, this verse here from Deuteronomy 1 was never more powerfully illustrated to me than in 1992. As some of you will remember this, but in the Summer Olympics of 1992 in Barcelona, there was a British runner his specialty was the 400-meter track, named Derek Redmond, who was the favored to win in the 400-meter. The sound of the gun came out of the blocks, was leading the pack, and about halfway in the race, his hamstring snapped. And he came crumbling down in the middle of the track. And I, I remember watching this. I remember watching it live when it happened. And I remember the cameras all kind of turning on him in agony. He's in agony. And then he gets up. All the other racers had finished. He gets up and he starts to hobble because he wants to finish. He's like, I didn't come this far to just lie on this track. And all the cameras then start to suddenly pan. And out of the stands comes Derek Redmond's father who had been watching his son in agony on the track. And he comes running down out of the stands. And the security guards stop him because they don't really know, I guess, who he is. And he pushes them away like any dad would. And he goes and he runs out on that track and he throws his son's arm around his shoulder. And dad puts his arm underneath his and he helps his son to limp across that finish line. This is the dad helping his son to finish well. Derek Redmond finished the 400-meter race in the 1992 Barcelona Summer Olympic events, but he finished last. But that's okay. He finished. And it was all because a loving dad said, I'll come and I'll help you finish. This is a picture of our Father in heaven. He sees us when we stumble. He sees us when we are weak. He sees us when we're on the track in agony. And he comes down and he helps to pick us up that we might finish well. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, Paul goes on here to say in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. 
God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. Notice his prayer here. That your love may abound more and more. That's good. But how so? In knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Notice again his prayer there in verse 9. He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more, how so? In knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Okay, what he prays for here is not blind love. He prays for discerning love. Undiscerning love is a dangerous thing. Undiscerning love is when we're led totally by emotions. And sometimes we can do some silly and dangerous things out of a heart of love, but not out of wisdom. And so if we don't have discernment, love without discernment is a dangerous thing. We can get ourselves involved in things that just because we are moved totally by emotion and our hearts just kind of totally pull in a direction and we end up making a decision or we end up doing something that we thought was a good thing to do, but we didn't have wisdom and discernment in the exercise of our love. Pray that your love may abound more and more. Having love is a great thing, but pray that God would give you discerning love because sometimes discerning love says the hard thing. And does the hard thing because you love someone enough to not just simply be led by the emotional heartstrings, but by the discernment and wisdom of God. In verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, talking about his imprisonment there in Rome, has really served to advance the gospel. Isn't this an amazing thing? Paul has this great perspective all the time, doesn't he? He's in prison in Rome when he writes this letter. But he says, I want you to know that the reason I'm here is because God has a greater purpose. And he's going to talk about it a little bit. He says in verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So he he realizes that part of the reason why he's where he is is because God has, in his providence, arranged it such that the gospel can even be declared to the palace guards where he is. You know, I mean, think about in God's overall plan of things. He wants all people to hear the gospel. But he's like, hey, I don't want you to forget about these Roman officials over here in in the palace of Caesar here where you are going to be kept in prison. So what does God do? God arranges for Paul to end up in prison so that people who need the gospel can hear the gospel too. Don't ever underestimate why you are where you are. You may not always enjoy where you are. Some of you are thinking, I need a job transfer. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. And pray about it. Maybe God will give you the job transfer. But it could also be that God wants you exactly where you are and exactly in that house in that neighborhood and and exactly in that location where you are because there are people around you and God has assigned you. You're on a mission. You're like, I don't really like the people he's assigned to me. You'll end up loving them because God will give you the love for them. But don't underestimate that where you are might be where you are because God has arranged providentially for the people around you to hear what he wants to say through you. Verse 15, 
He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Some people, their motives aren't right in in the gospel. Some are out of jealousy. Some out of envy of, of another man's ministry. But others out of goodwill. He says, look, there are some who are doing some good things with the gospel. And he says, the latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Now look, Paul's going to be very firm about false doctrine and false teachers, but he's going to leave the motives up to God to deal with as long as the message is true. So he never tolerates false doctrine or false teaching, thus false teachers, but he's talking here about some people who are they're preaching the truth. He says, but some, some of them are preaching it out of envy or, or jealousy, out of rivalry. He says, look, as long as they're preaching the truth, I'm going to let God judge the motives. Some of them are bad. But he says, on the other hand, he's going to say in this letter, I don't care how good the motives of a false teacher, that's never good. So, bad motives, right gospel, okay, I'll let God deal with the motives. Bad gospel, right motives are never good, never good, because if it's false, if it's false teaching or false doctrine, that should never be tolerated under any circumstances. And he he goes on there and he says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that, that through your prayers and the help given by the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He says, if I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now listen, this is not a death wish on Paul's part. Okay, he doesn't have some kind of a, this morbid desire to just, you know, check out. This is not some suicidal kind of reflection here. Look, he, he's, he's simply recognizing, I don't ultimately belong here. I ultimately am a citizen of heaven, which is true for all of us. And, you know, life has become weary for him. I mean, this is a guy who's been beaten, he's been imprisoned. I mean, life's taken a toll on him. And he's like, you know what? If God chooses to take me home, I'm ready to depart. He says, I'm ready to go to heaven. But if God chooses to keep me here on earth, then it might be more necessary for you, he says to the church of Philippi, that I remain so that my labor might still be fruitful for the glory of God for your benefit. So he's not just wanting to check out, but he's just kind of being, I appreciate his, his raw honesty here. He's like, you know what? There's just times in life where it would just be better for me to go to be with Jesus. Look, death for the Christian is not defeat. It is a graduation to glory for the Christian. Death is not defeat. It's a graduation to glory. And Paul knows this. And, and even, by the way, let me point out when he says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. When he says that, that is a reflection to us from Scripture that there's no such thing as purgatory. Because he says, I I would rather depart and be with Christ. Okay, in purgatory, which is not a biblical thing, you're not with Christ. And Paul knows, and he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, when he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay, 
So it's a contradiction to purgatory. It's also a contradiction to what Jehovah's Witnesses teach, which is soul sleep. Jehovah's Witnesses teach when you die, you just are in in the grave until Jesus comes again, and then you come up from the grave, and so you're just in this deep sleep, soul sleep. That's not biblical either. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says, you know, I'd rather depart and be with Christ, but as long as he wants me to stay on earth, I'll stay on earth, and I'll be faithful to his work. Adam Clark, in his commentary, wrote about this verse where Paul says, having a desire to depart, Adam Clark said, quote, it appears to be a metaphor taken from the commander of a vessel in a foreign port who feels a strong desire to set sail and get to his own country and family. But this desire is counterbalanced by a conviction that the general interests of the voyage may be best answered by his longer stay in the port where his vessel now rides, for he is not in dock, he is not aground, but rides at anchor in the port, and may any hour weigh and be gone. Paul will, in about five years from this letter, he will be executed by Nero, the emperor of Rome. But until that time that his ship sails heavenward, he says, I know it is more necessary for you Church of Philippi and others, that I remain, and I will continue to do that. He says in verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. He says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence... I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. That's an athletic term there, contending. It's like in a contest. Contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Interesting point of history. Again, this is around 62 AD. In this particular time in the Roman Empire, Judaism is acceptable. But Christianity is not. Because Christianity makes Jesus as Lord. In the Roman Empire, you had to declare that Caesar was Lord. So two years after this letter is written, in 64 AD, Nero, the emperor of Rome, will outlaw Christianity. He will blame the Christians for burning Rome, which we know he really did, and then he blamed it on the Christians. And he will outlaw Christianity. He will make it a capital offense for you to be a Christian, and he will butcher Christians. History tells us that Nero would gather Christians together, dip them in tar, and light them aflame as living torches in his garden. That's why Paul says here, you're called not only to believe in him, but also to potentially suffer for him. We have it good, church. But until such time that we may not have it as good, let us be reminded from this letter that we're called to believe on him. And maybe, if need be, even to suffer for him. And as God has protected the saints and taken them to glory throughout the ages, he will do the same for us. I pray it doesn't come to that, 
But may our faith be as strong that if we need to suffer for Christ, we're willing to do it and courageously for His glory. Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Is that the mantra of your heart? Are you relying on Christ to be your strength when you can't carry on? The Apostle Paul knew that the only way to get through the inevitable trials of life was to lean on Jesus, and he encourages you to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in to study the book of Philippians with us here on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary will have more to share next time. But for now, we'd like to know more about you. Would you give us a call and let us know how you discovered Cornerstone Connection or what it's meant to you? Give us a call at 703-771-1500. We'd like to be praying for you as well, so please let us know how we can do that. The number again, 703-771-1500. Would you do something for us too? Would you pray for your fellow listeners to Cornerstone Connection? We know that the gospel message is powerful and can change lives, but we also are aware of the enemy's attempts to stop it from reaching the hurting. Please pray that the truth is received with each broadcast and that the hearts of others would be open. Thanks for praying, and thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.